Greetings, Seamheads, far and wide. Welcome into the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14. I am Casey Light. Very excited to be joined today by Anilo Piro, beat writer for Mile High Sports, covering the Colorado Rockies. Anilo is fresh off a trip to Scottsdale. He spent a week with the Colorado Rockies down there at spring training, so we're excited to pick his brain about what he covered down there, all the ins and outs that are going on with your Colorado Rockies. Anilo, welcome to the Blake Street Irregulars. What is going on, man? Excited to be here. It is a great day because we are just two weeks out, two weeks, a fortnight, as the Rockies said on their Twitter (laughs) account today, away from the open of the 2018 season, a season rife with expectations for the Colorado Rockies. But before we get to that, I do want to tell you about... Tap 14, the presenting sponsor of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. Our great friends at Tap 14 are located at 1920 Blake Street, just a half block from Coors Field. So when you are there for opening day, which is a few weeks from now, not uh, we're two weeks, we'll open down in Arizona. uh, And then a week later, we're back in Denver on Friday. For opening day, I want you to get down to Tap 14, 1920 Blake Street. They have 70 Colorado beers on tap and 100 Colorado distilled spirits. Do not try and drink them all on opening day. I know some people down there will be going for that record. Please do not try and do that. Uh, But sample some of their awesome, awesome beers on tap from right here in Colorado, as well as those 100 Colorado distilled spirits. Make sure that you fill up with their American Alpine Fare that is locally sourced and rotates seasonally. And... Get a view from that terrific rooftop patio. An amazing experience at Tap 14 every time you go. We will be there all season long. Really looking forward to it. Uh, but Anilo, I've been looking forward to talking to you ever since your return from spring training because you spent a full week down there with the guys. Uh, you know, you were there basically morning, noon, and night. Yeah, um, and, long days. Yep, and some night games, which yep. was really exciting. Uh, we actually got to see the Rockies play a, a, an actual MLB-style game, yep. which happened uh, after sunset against the Mariners. Uh you saw a lot down there. We've covered a lot in your absence. Uh, where we really want to dive in today is the starting rotation. Because with yep. two weeks to go before opening day, we need to start figuring out who are the guys that are actually going to be Bud Black's starting five so we can pin we can pin that down and really map out what this rotation is going to look like. Uh, there's been some injury developments that have happened of late that we need to be aware of. Uh, we need to keep in mind because they are going to have a factor in, in all of this. We'll talk about injuries a little bit later on in the podcast, and then we're going to wrap things up by trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with Ian Desmond. Yeah, and I got some good um, stuff on that as well. But a quick tidbit on the Mariners games and all that stuff. I found out, I don't remember who told me, but the Mariners requested to have all night games during spring training. Which is very smart. That's, yeah, it is. They want to be, you know, seasoned for the, for the season and whatnot. Well, and, and, and it's funny because, you know, we were out there uh, during the offseason season. Uh, we we saw Nolan Arenado speak to uh, two reporters the one time that he spoke during the the true off season. We're not talking about during spring training or Cactus League, uh, but during Rockies Caravan, Nolan was there uh, at Coors Field and he spoke. And one of the things that he talked about was he wants to get into a better sleep routine this year. Mm-hmm. He wants to get to bed earlier. And when when he says earlier, he's talking about not falling asleep at three or four o'clock in the morning because those guys they get done with that game ten thirty eleven o'clock at night. They're super amped up. They'll eat a big meal. They'll They're probably lifting. do. They'll, they'll lift. They'll do a workout. Um, and so for them to unwind sometimes takes until three, four o'clock in the morning, which is, you know, problematic if you're if you're a professional athlete Absolutely. when you're not able to, you know, finally put your head down and get those 40 winks until that late in the evening. Um, so that's one thing that Nolan talked about. I love that idea if you're the Mariners, because it puts you into that practice and that rhythm of this is what we do six nights a week. Realistically, mm-hmm. um, you know, five or six nights a week, we've got, the you know, usually our one Sunday game. But for the most part, we're playing 
all nighttime games. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a, a relevant idea for the Mariners to kind of try to install. But for me, I mean, obviously I can't speak for the players, but if I was a player, you know, I think Nolan has a very valid talking point in the sense of, yes, I want to get in that routine. But that is essentially like having an extra month and a half of the season attached to the beginning. I mean, I believe the Rockies play, you know, close to every single day starting, you know, in the middle of February throughout the end of March when it comes to spring training. So, yes, I do definitely see the advantages in, you know, requesting a majority of night games and playing a ton of night games. But at the same time, that's an extra month and a half of wear and tear on your body of getting used to playing late, playing deep into the night and whatnot. So I, I do think there is, you know, a value in playing a handful of night games, but it's spring training. You know, spring training is supposed to be relaxed. It's supposed to be, you know, getting amped up for the season and really slowly gearing yourself into it. So that's why I do enjoy the day aspect of it and whatnot. It's also more family friendly. Yeah, and we've got uh, some. We got a split squad game going on today. That's an afternoon game. The Rockies actually do have, uh, if I'm counting correctly here, they've got two more nighttime games coming up next Monday uh, against the Rangers, and then next Saturday against the Cubs. That's also a split squad game against the Cubs. Uh, so a few of those, but they will open the season with an 8:10 first pitch uh, Mountain Daylight Time against the Diamondbacks on March 29th, two weeks from today. Anilo, John Gray is going to be on the mound, right? You would think so. And I mean, that, that is the Rockies guy at this point. I believe I got the update um, from MLB.com today on my phone. You know, Rockies ace John Gray. And, you know, I kind of dis- I kind of disagree with the term ace with John Gray and whatnot. I think Herman Marquez is a guy that is also vying for that title and whatnot. But, you know, the Rockies believe John Gray is an ace. John Gray believes he himself is an ace. So, you know, that is going to be the guy on the mound for the Rockies more likely than not coming opening day in a rematch against the Arizona Diamondbacks where he just was awful in that wild card game. Here, here's what I will say about John Gray. And, and, and Bud Black has been very outspoken about this. He's very supportive of John Gray. Uh, he likes to push him. And I think a little yeah. bit of this is a mental piece because we know that John Gray needs some mental sharpening. He really does. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. Uh, but He's but almost com- too nice of a guy. But the competitive edge yeah. we, we've seen. And, and I'll talk about this because you were down there with... with uh, Eric and Les, as they were broadcasting live yeah. on location from Talking Stick uh, the, at the same time. And, you know, something that stood out to me about John Gray was that that mental sharpness that still isn't there. And Bud Black said and has said repeatedly, I'm not going to call John Gray an ace. I have very high standards for an ace. Remember this, folks. Not every team has to have an ace. Just because you have a number one does not mean you have an ace. Exactly. There's there's a difference. A big difference. There's a difference between being an ace and being a number one. There's, John Gray is the Rockies' number one, and that's absolutely. what and that's what we're going to say is, yeah, there's been some concern with John Gray. Uh, he got roughed up in his last outing. Not a particularly uh, good output for John Gray uh, in his last outing yesterday against the Dodgers. What did you see from John Gray before we dive into yesterday's game? What did you see from John Gray live and in person? You know, a lot of the same of what I saw last year. You know, he continues to work on the off-speed pitches that he wants to continue to develop. His fastball velocity is, you know, where it needs to be for the most part. So, I mean, honestly, John Gray was probably the pitcher that I saw the least difference from from last year to now in spring training. I mean, it just doesn't seem like he's... I don't want to say that he hasn't been working hard because he absolutely has, but it just seems like he has his regiment. He knows what he wants to do. And it's more so about his mental capacity kind of picking up to the standards of his pitches. You know, we know that he has a really, really good fastball. I think he's continuing to working on uh, adding that curveball into his repertoire as well. So it's interesting for me. My biggest takeaway is it's a lot of just fine tuning with John Gray. I think a majority of his, you know, arsenal is intact. Um, He knows what he wants to be as a pitcher. And now it's just about getting to that point. The biggest takeaway is he really looks like a wolf. He grew out the beard. He grew out the hair again. Um, so he, he's definitely re-motivated. He's motivated. He's rejuvenated entering this season. And, you know, he has a lot of confidence. I think, you know, both 
John Gray and the rest of the Rockies' young starting rotation use that wild card game as a really, really you know strong learning point that they want to build off of. I'm talking to Kyle Freeland, who we'll talk about later in the podcast, and he referenced that a lot of the guys that was their first experience in that kind of a scenario, whether they pitched in the game or not. So for me, you know, a year under or a year more of experience under his belt, uh, I expect big things from John Gray. But I, I think you know the big conversation, like we were talking about, Casey is he's the Rockies' number one. It's time for him to fully grow into that position and solidify himself as that. Yeah, obviously, with the time that he missed last year with the foot injury, still had a, a really outstanding season going 10-4 and four last year. If he can maintain that type of a pace, you're talking about a guy who's going to flirt with 20 wins this yeah. year. I, I think that's probably a little bit unrealistic. Uh, but we've talked about that mental edge, and I, I want to touch on this very, very quickly because it's something that, that's kind of been lingering in the back of my mind since it happened uh, John was nice enough to come on with Eric Goodman and Les Shapiro went to Talking Stick Resort yep. um, and was on with them and I, what stood out to me in their conversation with John they asked him a question about what his sort of what his mindset is knowing that he's got such a strong back end to the bullpen because Jeff Breidich was so aggressive in going out and putting in really strong six seven eight ninth inning yep. guys I mean they, they they you know uh you know Mike Dunn even said this year we don't have a weak link in our bullpen we don't have a, a minus side guy you know we're, we're we're that strong so when Eric and Les asked John Gray about his confidence in turning over the ball is that hard for you as a pitcher because you know you want to go out there and get every out John Gray didn't give what I would call an aces response right when you think of an ace you know I'm talking about guys like Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw or Madison Bumgarner who says coach has to pry that ball out of my bleep hands because if you're a true ace, if you're that guy who and, and John, I encourage folks to go to milehighsports.com uh, and listen to the podcast uh, with John Gray, because his answer was very interesting to me. And it sort of, well, you have to think about the matchups and am I tired? And does is coach seeing something? That, no, when you're an ace, when you're when you have that. You know that I want to take the bull by the horns mentality. You're just not giving up the ball, and and we've yet to see that click for John Gray. Yeah. We've yet to see that moment where John Gray says, "No, you can't take the ball out of my hands," and that's why I think potentially he might even be leaving the door open for someone like Herman Marquez to slide in and become the number one at some point, even as early as this year, if he doesn't uh, really dominate the way that the Rockies are expecting and hoping he will. So that leads us to. Who is number two on this list? Who is number two in the rotation? From a pure record standpoint, if we're just going down the win-loss percentage last year, it's got to be Marquez, right? Absolutely. I think Herman Marquez is, you know, the clear-cut number two. I think the what he was able to demonstrate over the entirety of the season last year was just all you need to see from him of kind of a talking point of where he could be in his career. You know, the epitome of consistency for the most part in the Rockies rotation. I think he did a phenomenal job throughout um, all of last year, really establishing himself as a go-to guy for the Rockies when they needed, you know, a complete starter, a guy that could go six or seven innings on any given night for the most part. You know, I think that tinkers around with John Gray and whatnot a little bit, which is why, you know, we're talking about Herman Marquez as a number two. I think he can maybe evolve into a number one. But at this point in time, I think it's clear that Gray is that number one. Marquez is that number two, at least from my, you know, kind of feeling while I was down there at spring training. He's going to be the guy. Maybe even Chad Bettis, I think, is a guy, you know... Listen, here's my thoughts on Chad Bettis real quick. He is phenomenal story. You know, a guy that has really proven himself as a warrior in terms of getting back on the field and whatnot. But 
he profiles as a back-end starter, you know, a four or a five on a playoff team. The Rockies may rely on him to be a two or a three. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that's a smart move for them, but it might be what they have to do considering how young they are. But that said, you know, Herman Marquez, I believe he's, what, 24 now? 24 years old, I believe. Um, just continues. He'll be 23, actually. Oh, he's only 22. 23-year-old wow. season, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he continues to kind of improve, I think, as you go along. And a lot of it's a lot of fine-tuning with him as well. He continues to add a lot more breaking pitches into his repertoire. I think he's just trying to really well-round his game. But he's rejuvenated and he's motivated entering this year. Yeah, what I like about Marquez, he was your innings leader last year. Uh, he gave you 29 starts, 4-3-9 ERA, pretty solid, uh, you know, especially given first year in, in Coors Field, first year in the major leagues. Uh, I, I like what Marquez brings to the table. I, I really expect to see him grow and build off of last year. The issue with Marquez is he does have those blow-up games. He does. He, he has those games where he's just going to, he's not going to get out of the third, yeah. and, and that's okay. That's a, that's a testament to a young pitcher. Yep, and those things are going to happen. Um, he reminds me at times uh, a little bit of a, of a shorter, at least in height-wise, build-wise, he's about the same, uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. Yeah. Right, where th- there were moments where you're watching Ubaldo Jimenez and his eyes are as big as saucers. He didn't know where the ball was going. Mm-hmm. He just didn't know. He couldn't He couldn't command his pitches. And, and I, I think you saw that on occasion with Marquez. He struggled a bit. And when I say a bit, I mean we're talking one or two rough innings or one or two rough outings. Um, he's trying to add a, a little bit of depth to his changeup, and that's kind of held him back a little bit from having a dominant spring. Uh, but I, I have no concerns about Marquez moving forward. I think he's going to be really solid. Currently on number two on the Rockies depth chart. If we're just going mm-hmm. by the gospel of Rockies.com depth chart, Tyler Anderson Gosh. is actually your number two oh uh, ahead of Marquez. Some of that may just be a little bit of posturing. It's a it's an ability to go you know left right or right left right at the top of your rotation. Look, Tyler Anderson did great things for the Rockies in 2016, late in the year, and he had an a, a pretty okay end to 2017, but. The bulk of his 2017 season was not strong, and he has not been particularly good here in Cactus League play. What did you see from Tyler Anderson while you were down there? He was just all over the place, man. I mean, I think I saw him start two games, and both games he was rattled, you know, almost the entirety of the starts. And let me go this. Every single pitcher at one point when I was interviewing them, it's spring training. We're just getting used to it. Now, you know, that is why you have to take everything that happens in spring training with a bit of a grain of salt. But for Tyler Anderson, there were some prominent problems that I was kind of looking at. His mechanics didn't really... I mean, he already has a weird kind of wind-up and yeah, delivery as it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, he definitely just... His pitches didn't look very crisp. He was missing on a lot of pitches in terms of his spots and location. Um, and, you know, talking from him, he kind of, he didn't want to blame it on early season kinks, but that's essentially what he was doing. He's saying, you know, I have to, you know, get back into a routine, blah, blah, blah. But to me, you know, I just don't know what you could expect from this guy. Obviously, he pitched in that wild card game, which shows that Bud Black is confident in him, but he's looked very, very weak and arguably, to me, the weakest link of the starting rotation so far in spring training. And it's con- it's not confusing. I mean, I understand why he's number two on the Rockies' death chart. Like you explained, he's a lefty. But I think he's getting a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he is one of the only lefties in that rotation. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's, you know, we talked before the podcast of how much we both would have liked to see the Rockies go out and sign a guy like Lance Lynn, Been great. who ended up in Minnesota, uh, a known commodity. Commodity. The price tag probably ended up being a little bit too high for a guy like Lance Lynn, which is unfortunate because uh, I think he would have slotted in very, very nicely at a really two or nicely. a three spot. Uh, but understand why they didn't do that. Uh, you know, Anderson, ha- here's the thing, and, and as you mentioned, his mechanics, I think, are really key. Um, he had the arthroscopic knee surgery last year, and 
obviously, anytime you're favoring a, a lower extremity when you're a pitcher, that's going to have a residual effect all the way up the body. Um, there are a lot of moving parts to Tyler Anderson's wind up as you mentioned there's sort of that hitch um tyler anderson at moments even if you look at his his picture on mlb.com or on coloradorockies.com it literally looks like tyler anderson is about to throw a dart it's the baseball it looks at times like tyler anderson is throwing darts i'm not going to sit down and, and say that tyler anderson needs an entire rebuild on his mechanics obviously what he does got him to the major leagues but when you have a wind up and the type of mechanics that tyler anderson has Things are more prone to go wrong. Absolutely, and and there there's you're prone to control issues. You're prone to uh, consistency issues, and that's what we've seen from Tyler Anderson when he is locked in, as he has been late in 2016, as he was for a stretch late in 2017. He can be as dominant a pitcher as the Rockies have because he's deceptive. He's got great change of pace in his pitches. He's got a variety of different looks that he can throw at you. He's got up and down in the zone. He's got left and right movement. Tyler Anderson has all of the pieces, but can he put them together for you consistently? That's the concern. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about stretches, and you know, it's a one-month stretch or a four- or five-start stretch where he's really excellent and superb, but I mean, the rest of the season, he's either on the sidelines because he's hurt, or he, you know, he has an ERA above 10, you know, or something like that. It's just god-awful. It's so hot and cold with Tyler Anderson that I just don't know, if you're the Rockies, how you can legitimately try to justify that in a year with riding as much, you know... Um, expectations as there is entering this year. There's we we're talking about. There's about seven horses vying for five spots in that rotation. Can you know an Antonio Sensatella or a Jeff Hoffman be more consistent than a Tyler Anderson over the course of a 162 game season? It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But to me, there's just so many problems with Tyler Anderson. He's 28 years old too. You know he he's got to nail these things down this year, just like John Gray does, just like Herman Marquez does. But to me, I don't. He's not the weakest link, but he definitely has the, the, the most to work on. And I think you hit on it perfectly, though. When he's on and he's pitching effectively, I mean, he's, he's one of the best that the Rockies have. And if they can figure out a way to capture that lightning in a bottle, they could have a solid start in uh, um, front of the end rotation pitcher um, who's a lefty as well. But I just don't, I'm not confident that he could do that. Yeah, I think those are all very, very valid concerns with Tyler Anderson. I wish nothing for the best, nothing but the best for Tyler Anderson because I've been a huge advocate of his uh, since he came up in 2016. Really liked what he was doing um, under Walt Weiss, which he, he was doing it at a time when there wasn't a whole lot of no. positives going on in that in that clubhouse. Um, he was a little bit like John Gray, snake bit. You know, he was having good outings, but couldn't get that yep. first win. Finally, you know, got the monkey off his back um, and, and really, I think, was, was one of the few positives as they started to slide down the stretch there in 2016. So you want to see him build off of that and then obviously that success that he had late in the year last year. Uh, we mentioned Chad Bettis who sits at number four in the rotation on the depth chart officially. Uh, you know, we expect him to probably climb that when Bud Black actually sets his rotation, mm-hmm. probably looking at a two or a three just because he's a reliable guy. I, I like having that flexibility with Bettis where you can slot him down deeper in the rotation and, and give him plus side matchups where he's the better pitcher on that given day rather than asking him to sort of uh, pull up his bootstraps and beat a better pitcher yeah. on any given day. Uh, but as we've seen with the Rockies in the past, and, and, and I make uh, I make a lot of Josh Fogg references to Chad <laughs> Bettis because I feel like they're so similar, uh, but I, I think there's just going to be those moments where Chad Bettis, because he's so tough, because he is a grinder, because he works so hard, because he's so reliable, there's just going to be days where Bud Black has to turn to him and say, here's the pill, you got to go out and 
swallow it. And, and he's going to have to take on really tough matchups. So we have lots of confidence in Chad Bettis uh, to bounce back from that cancer treatment. He is mentally as tough as anybody on this roster. End yeah. of story. Um, expecting solid things from Chad Bettis in, t- in 2018. Absolutely. And, you know, you were kind of talking about how the Rockies, you expect him to climb the depth chart in terms of rotation uh, and whatnot. And I heard murmurs, you know, that if the Rockies were to win that game in Arizona, that he was likely going to start game one against the Dodgers. That was a very real kind of talking point. That's how confident they are in Chad Bettis. You know, a Clayton Kershaw-esque you know, Chad Bettis matchup would, would have been Ugh. extremely interesting, Ugh. but they have a lot of confidence in Chad, and I think that was largely because I think he has historically good numbers against the Dodgers yeah. as well. Um, but listen, the Rockies are really, really high on Chad Bettis. You know, deservingly so, but at the end of the day, this is a guy that has a career ERA over four. And, you know, playing at Coors Field, you could, you know, take that with a grain of salt and whatnot, but, you know, you and I were talking before this podcast. He's a back-end-of-the-rotation guy that continues that the Rockies are going to have to kind of force into the top, maybe a two or a three. I think two is probably the likely landing spot for him if they want to try to balance young old old, young, old, and whatnot. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, can he do it? You know, you, you talked about his mental toughness and whatnot. I think from that aspect, he certainly can. But are the pitches going to be there over the course of 162? Sure. Guy slotted in at number five. So basically your last guy in the rotation as it stands right now is Kyle Freeland. Uh Tied with Herman Marquez for the team lead in wins last year, but a uh, very different way that he got yeah. there. Um, you know, Marquez, where he went 11-7, and seven, Freeland was 11-11. Freeland had some just phenomenal outings. We saw him go out and dominate, obviously, the near no-hitter, uh, that great performance Opening on, on uh, Rocky's home opener. Uh, actually, a better ERA, all told, than Marquez, uh, but fewer starts and, and kind of faded a little bit down the stretch. Part of that just came with with youth, uh, but they are expecting you know a, a full regiment of starts this year. Um, last year, 28. You'll, you'll, you should see that number again. I really do think that the long-term goal is to have a... Gray Freeland one-two punch at the top of the rotation. And I think it could happen this year, uh, but Freeland does have to really prove that it wasn't just rookie luck last year and that he's not going to have that sophomore slide like everybody is so concerned about. You were down there watching him pitch. Uh, he has been tinkering a little bit lately with his mechanics, and that's uh, to me, that's a little bit of a concern because if you're 25 years old and and you're in this mode of thinking that you can tinker with your or, or, or needing to you had a successful year last year you proved that you can dominate games is there a need to tinker what did you see anything that that would suggest to you that Kyle Freeland needs to do anything more than what he's talked about all offseason which is just pound the strike zone and eliminate his walks you know I don't I think there's he yeah I, I think the big thing you were talking about is eliminating walks so I think with what he's doing and tinkering his mechanics and whatnot is really just trying to shore up some things and get a lot more consistency um, going all around but I, I don't think he needs to do a lot and I don't think he is doing a lot to be quite honest with you. He's extremely confident entering this year, both with himself and the rest of this young rotation. I actually wrote a piece on this for MileHighSports.com, just kind of talking about his expectation for himself. And, you know, he, he's ready for this. And I think you kind of alluded to the fact that they want to go gray freely as a one-two punch at the top of the rotation at some point or another. I, I think you are, you, there's a very, very good chance you're going to see that this year. Um, but for me, you know, he just needs to continue to do his thing. You know, like you kind of said, pound the strike zone, be aggressive. That's where he's going to, you know, experience his most success. So, from Kyle Freeland, it, 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 he's the one that I'm least concerned about, I guess you could say, because I think he's he proved last year that he does enough that he has enough pitches in his repertoire and, and a lot of good power in that as well to be a successful pitcher on the MLB level. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so there's your one through five, yeah. just strictly by the depth chart. The two other guys that are on that list: Jeff Hoffman and Antonio <laughs> Senzatella. Uh, Senzatella, obviously, huge start I'm, to yeah. the year, ten wins by June nineteenth, zero after that. Yeah. Um, but but that was really a, a product of they had to shut Antonio down uh, with only the thirty five total. In 
innings pitched the year yeah. prior. They, they couldn't ride that horse too long. Uh, Sensatella has talked about how his diet has so, improved so greatly this year. He looks slimmer. Uh, he, he looks slimmer. He looks stronger. Uh, but they're still building on that. You know, that, that's the thing to keep in mind with Antonio Sensatella is that uh, he's, you know, Hundred. He went from thirty-five innings pitched to a hundred and thirty-five innings yeah. pitched. Uh, you know, from from twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen. Uh, we can't add on another hundred innings. We can't expect two hundred and thirty-four <laughs> innings yeah. pitched, two hundred thirty-five from him. Um, look, Antonio Sensatella is going to be the very first one they pull the trigger on as soon as someone struggles or has any kind of an injury. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for, you know, right for for good reason. I think, you know, I'm big on Antonio Sensatella. I'm not afraid to admit that. I think the poise that he demonstrates on the mound, um, he's mature well beyond his years. And I think he really does have a spot in this rotation, whether it be at the beginning of the year, in the middle of the year or whatnot. I just think he's going to be a really, really solid arm and a reliable arm at that for the Rockies. He doesn't seem to be afraid at pitching at Coors Field. You know, we've talked about um, John Gray and his mental, you know, fatigue and weakness. I think that's something that is always in the back of his mind. Sensatella just knows how to go out there and pitch. And I think the biggest thing for him you know coming off injury two years ago pitching 35 innings the year before that um what it really comes down to is just building up that stamina for him yeah and and he's got the build that he he can be a not not current mold but uh if you back go back in the day to a bartolo cologne yeah right you know yeah. a guy who can just he can just just That's a eat great up innings. he can just eat up innings for you kind of has that rubber arm although that was the issue was the shoulder so you hope that that's going to be the case for antonio senzatella um is that with an improved diet with an improved fitness with with better attention at the major league level that he's going to take those steps and become a guy like you said like like or like i said Bart- bartolo cologne yeah. who could maybe just be a consistent innings eater for you because you'd like to you'd really like to see that from him um um, deceptively good with his pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, not a guy who he's kind of that guy where all of a sudden you look up and it's the fourth inning and you yep. only have two hits yeah. and you're going, oh man, how did that happen? He's mowed us down two times through. Just so. a quality arm all the way around. You know, he's never going to blow you away. He's not going to strike out. You know, ten or eleven a night, but he's going to you know be he could go deep into ball games consistently for this team. I think he profiles as a perfect middle of the rotation uh, guy for this club moving forward. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how it plays uh, plays out because you know we've talked about Tyler Anderson his struggles. Can he be be consistent over the course of 162. John Gray is going to be in the rotation. Um, a, a guy that we're also going to talk about in Jeff Hoffman. A lot of these guys have question marks around them. I feel like there's le- uh, less question marks around Ant- Antonio Sensatella outside of just getting him up to speed in terms of stamina. Well, we're going to talk about Hoffman in just a moment because I want to bridge him into our next topic yep. of conversation, which is injuries. Uh, but before we dive into that, I, I do want to ask, because you were down there, were there depth guys that you saw? Were there pitchers? Uh, you know, we've seen Yancy Almonte had a strong start to the spring. Were there other pitchers that are within the organization? I've talked uh, quite a bit about Harrison Musgrave. I think they like the idea of another lefty who could who could potentially be contributing to this lineup. Bud Black has said he wants eight MLB caliber starting pitchers available to him throughout the course of the season. We've talked about seven of uh, six of them in depth. We'll talk about uh, Jeff Hoffman here in just a moment, but who's number eight based on what you saw down there? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely Musgrave is, is kind of the front runner, but I mean, he's been the front runner for that kind of spot for like three years now. I mean, his name is always kind of thrown in the mix of if the Rockies need a starter, they're going to go down to AAA Albuquerque and just bring up Musgrave. You and know? yet they haven't. Exactly. So, I mean, it's just kind of a revolving door at this point. So I think, you know, Alamante, like we've talked about, has had a really strong spring, you know, here at the beginning. So I think those 
those are the two guys that are definitely vying for that spot. But to be quite honest with you, Casey, they're not going to be utilized. I mean, unless injury really just damages them because they have seven guys, you know, in the race for five rotation spots, all of which, you know, have a lot of promise and were acquired via trade or via draft that the Rockies have very high expectations for. You know, I, I view Alamante and Musgrave as, you know, more middle of the line guys that they could fall back on, you know, not necessarily guys that they view as potential future, you know, consistently starters in the rotation. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit, too, about uh, some free agents that might still be out there. Alex Cobb is really kind of the last domino yeah, to it's fall. It's going to be interesting, man. Uh, would love to see. You know, we, we've both talked. I'm not sure where he's going to come in dollars and cents wise. It, you know, if the Rockies really did uh, save themselves a few bucks in the deal with Carlos Gonzalez by only signing him, you know, for what was it? Five million, it was eight. six million, eight million. I've heard, I've heard like a bunch that. of different numbers thrown out there, but uh, there might still be some money to play with there. Uh, but we, let's. So we'll see. I, I, I don't. I'm, at this point, I, I feel like that those odds are, are fading quite a bit. Uh, but let's talk about Jeff Hoffman and yeah. use that as a bridge because uh, Hoffman has more or less been shut down at this point mm-hmm. for the spring uh, with some shoulder injuries. I've talked at length about Hoffman. I, I see a ton of similarities between he and John Gray. To me, they're a carbon copy of, of one another. Uh, but. Talk about Jeff Hoffman, the injury to the shoulder, and, and kind of where he's sitting right now. Because as it stands, he's he's out. Yeah, it's interesting, man. Because you know this is obviously the centerpiece in the trade that sent Troy Tulowitzki um, to the Toronto Blue Jays. And when he was acquired, I mean, people thought Jeff Hoffman was going to be the future of the rotation. I mean, I would put Kyle Freeland ahead of him in that category. Gray, Sensatella, for the most part, and um, Herman Marquez at times. He's just kind of he's lost right now. That's the best way that I can kind of consider it or talk about it. You know, he was he was injured by the time that I got down there, so I didn't really get to see him on the mound. Um, but you know, Bud Black had an interesting comment uh, around the fact that him being hurt and sidelined right now is hurting his chances of making the rotation. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I, I really think Jeff Hoffman is likely going to start the year down in AAA Albuquerque because they want him to get some innings under his belt, and I. Think I think they want him to kind of establish a level of success, which he's proven that he's been able to do down in AAA before they kind of give him the nod. But uh, listen, we've said it like a gazillion times now, f- seven guys vying for five spots. He's clearly the one that is the most on the outside looking in. Yeah, uh, only three appearances so far uh, through spring training was shut down after his March 14th uh, appearance against Oakland, uh, where he gave up three earned runs on four hits and walked a guy over two innings pitched. And a lot of his problems, you know, at the major league level too, you know, are surrounded about one consistency, but, you know, just really trying to find himself. I, I think in a lot of his starts, you know, we've seen John Gray just not have his pitches. We've seen Herman Marquez not have his pitches, but we've seen Jeff Hoffman go out there and look like a ghost, like to the point that we just don't know who he is. Is he yeah. going to be a potential ace or is he going to be a guy that's, you know, in and out of the league in five years? Because he's looked like both at times. Yep. So let's continue on with the injury discussion because there's there's some really, I, I think, important ones lingering at this point. Uh, Pat Vileka had an oblique injury yep. that has sidelined him for a little while. Uh, positive news starting to come out the last couple of days that he's making progress there. Valeka will be your bench infielder, assuming that he's healthy in two weeks, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's the thought process right now. And, you know, rightfully so. He's a guy, he was the pinch hitting expert last year for the Colorado Rockies. He hit like 220-something, I think, during the regular season, but just murdered everything, you know, when he was coming off the bench as a, po- or as a pinch hitter and whatnot. So he's versatile. He could play infield. He could play outfield. could do a lot of things for this Rockies team. So I think he's definitely the front runner. But I think he's more out in front because another guy in O'Malley was a guy that got hurt. And, you know, he was kind of vying for utility role, you know, playing time and whatnot. So 
you know, Valeka is definitely going to be the guy from all reports and indications and people that I've talked to is that he is progressing along nicely. There's not a lot of concern with him about, you know, missing a substantial amount of time and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I agree with you, Casey. He's definitely in line to be, you know, the guy for the Rockies off the bench. Well, let's talk about Sean O'Malley because, you know, we, we've mentioned this uh, in several of these podcasts, but Bud Black has four spots on his bench. He's going with a 13 and 12 split, 13 pitchers, 12 yep. position players. You've got your eight starters, uh, which leaves you with four guys on the bench. Valeka's your infielder. TBD is your outfielder. Yeah. Uh, we won't rehash all of that because we've spoken on it so many times. But one of the three guys is going to end up there. Tapia, Dahl, or Talkman. We know one of those three guys is going to be there. Tony Walters is your backup catcher. That leaves one spot still available. Sean O'Malley, sort of a journeyman minor leaguer, had a few cups of coffee, spent a little yeah. time uh, in the majors with uh, with Seattle. the Mariners. A I saw of an years O'Malley ago. jersey at spring training. A, a Seattle Mariners. Yes, a Seattle Mariners that's jersey. A, and I was amazing. just like shaking. I was like, it's got to be his dad or something. Like, right. You know, but just a little tidbit there. That's that's too funny. Yeah, in that, in that game, um, Sean O'Malley, 89 games for the Mariners two years ago, but did not see the major leagues last year. Uh, they really liked him uh, because he's a versatile guy who could play both infield and outfield probably more capable than Pat Valeka as an outfielder and they liked him because he's a switch hitter that helps a lot uh, but unfortunately he broke his uh, left hand uh, on March 3rd and wa- will need four to six weeks for a, a utility guy on the edge. That's pretty much a death knell for making an MLB roster, yeah, right? Yeah, it's unfortunate. He's also 30 years old, but I, I think that could honestly play in his favor because I do think the Rockies want a little bit of veteran presence, you know, considering how young the team is, both on the infield and in the pitching staff and rotation for the most part. So it's going to be interesting, but like you said, Casey, it's kind of TBD. You know, if he can come back and, you know, maybe go down to AAA Albuquerque and prove himself worthy of a, of a roster spot you might see him up there you know throughout the middle of the season maybe sometime in the early to mid-summer um but you know there is one of these spots there's one of the outfield spots as well but uh yeah O'Malley it's unfortunate because he was you know kind of a not a leading candidate but he was definitely out in front in the sense of getting some viable major league uh playing time but uh this injury has certainly limited him yeah it's it's not going to help him uh, one guy that that does help is Ryan McMahon uh who I, I think this sort of catapults him into a position where he is going to potentially uh have be, as much as cargo reset signing might have sort of closed that door a little bit um, and and put a position where they could make that move and and tell Ian Desmond that, okay, we're going to slide you over to first base. Definitively, um, I think that helps open that door for Ryan McMahon. It also opens it for Jordan Patterson, who we've talked about a lot, uh, because he can play both first base and the outfield. Uh, So we'll we'll keep a very close eye on on what's happening there and how those materialize, because uh, this leads us to our third topic of conversation, which is... We've said all along we can't put Ian Desmond on the bench just strictly because of how much money yeah, he's being paid. But at 071 at this point in spring training, uh, 0 for 3 with three strikeouts in his last game, uh, at some point Ian Desmond has to – you have to consider putting him on the bench to start the season and, and – and going with McMahon at first base? I mean, because I, McMahon's Black been is, solid. McMahon has been very, very solid. And so Bud Black is really in a very, very tough spot with two weeks to go and Ian Desmond playing as poorly as he has. Yeah, it's, you know, the way I could kind of compare Ian Desmond right now at the plate is, you know, growing up playing Little League or whatever you did, you usually always had that one kid that would just swing as hard as he could and just hope he would make contact and see how far it would go. That's Ian Desmond right now. I mean, his just. Pitch or his pitch selection and how he's hitting, it just looks so forced. Like nothing is coming natural to him. Um, and chatting with him in the clubhouse, you know, he was talking about how he's lowering his hands this year to kind of make things smoother, gets the ball a little bit quicker. I think he's trying to adjust to his age as well. Mm. He kind of gave me an interesting quote. 
you know, when I asked him about hitting leadoff, he said, you know, I'm not getting any younger um, in, in the sense that I think he realizes where he's at in his career and he wants to just establish a level of consistency both at the plate and in the field. He's still very confused about whether he's going to get a majority of his playing time at first base or in the outfield. There's not a lot of, you know, talk, at least what he was conveyed to me in that aspect. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But obviously a guy that signed the largest contract in franchise history just a couple of off seasons ago is really just struggling to be a serviceable major league player at this point. It, it's, it's, let's it's, not read too much yeah. into, you know, an 071 average in the Cactus League because, but, but okay, I, I can't even use the because. I can't even finish yeah. that. You, you have to read into it at this point. Look, Ian Desmond hit 272 last year, yeah. right? That is a good major league average. Like, you'll take 272 from a guy pretty much, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, he's going to hit sixth or seventh for you in your lineup, but you can't take that from a guy who's making $20 million a year. Uh, you can't take that from a guy who's playing at Coors Field. Uh, Desmond is in the lineup again today. He is playing first base. Uh, you're starting to see today's lineup begin to look more and more like what you could potentially see Two weeks from now, when the Rockies start the regular season, which is Charlie Blackman batting leadoff, DJ LeMahieu hitting second, Nolan Arenado hitting third. Cargo is slotted in in the cleanup spot right now. This will be, today will mark his first uh, game at the major league uh, level. He's played a couple of days down in the lower levels uh, just to get a swing back. Homered in his second AB, which was yeah. <laughs> awesome for Cargo. Uh, Trevor Story, he's playing the DH role today, but he'll be, uh, he would be the shortstop in that role if it were, were not a DH situation. And then Ian Desmond batting sixth, playing first base. For my money, I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah. Um, I, I, Desmond has been for a long time a, a kind of roll with the punches guy. He's sort of... He, he takes it as it comes, but you also sense that he also wears it fairly heavily. Yeah, he really does. He, he's an emotional player. You know, he, you know, numerous times, you know, unpro- unproposed and whatnot, he was saying, you know, I hit the ball hard last year, but it was straight into the ground. You know, he's cognitive and keeping a, a, a memory, per se, of the struggles that he went through last year, both with the injury and his struggles overall at the plate. He's got to learn how to let that go, I think, to a certain extent. So it's going to be interesting to see, but he has to produce. I mean, and here's the thing. If you can get Ian Desmond of the Texas Rangers or the Washington Nationals, even for a half of season, you know, that will certainly revamp the Rockies offense, which has been the conversation here as of late that has been, you know, kind of coming off a weak year last year for their standards. Well, and when you look at the depth chart, Desmond is still slotted in as the top guy in left field, uh, pushing Gerardo Parra down. That's that's uh, yeah. just not true. I mean, uh, uh, that's what the Rockies website says. But yeah. Gerardo Parra will play yeah. very often. He, he absolutely will. You can't uh, he, you can't put a guy like that on the bench after what he gave you last year. How is Parra coming along with the hand? How is things? How are things looking? I for believe him? he's fine as of right now. I, when I talked to him, he was. Uh, I believe he played in a simulated game and was taking BP live BP. So the hand is obviously getting better. Um, you know, he was very lighthearted as he always is. Who that's just who Gerardo Parra is. So I don't think he's concerned by any means that he's going to miss any time. Um, you know, to start the season, but he's in good spirits. I, I think think, you know, Buddy Black is confident that he'll be just fine. But, you know, yeah, Parra is, is fine. And I think he's going to get a lot of playing time for this team. Rightfully so. I mean, he had a fantastic year last year. Will he be ready on opening day? Or is that something where we're probably going to see Desmond in left still with McMahon at first and mm-hmm. give Parra a little bit of time to work his way in? You know, that's still a big question mark. But I, I, I highly anticipate him being ready for opening day in terms of his health, whether or not the Rockies actually decide to insert him in there. That's another question. But, you know, it's interesting to me, you know, we were, there was talk about Parra maybe even being a leadoff guy before the Rockies, you know, reacquired Carlos Gonzalez, who which kind of shakes up their the, the leadoff thought process there. But I listen, he needs to play, you know, maybe not every day, but eighty percent of the Rockies games. 
He hit over 300 last year, had an incredible season. I believe this is the last year of the three-year deal that he signed a few off-seasons ago as well. Um, so I, I think you got to see what he can give you in terms of the output. Uh, all around, a really, really strong guy, both on the field and in the clubhouse. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But to me... It's going to be Ian Desmond and Ryan McMahon as a platoon at first. That's just how I kind of envision it, you know, kind of dwindling down with Para. Um, Blackman and um, someone else in the in the outfield as well. Yeah, Para has actually one year left after this year. It's a club option in yeah. 2019. This but, is the last but, guaranteed year. Yeah, that you'll but, see. but realistically, knowing that Charlie Blackman is probably on his way out, uh, all signs sort of pointing to that yep. at, at this at this Closing time, time. Which, which is sad. Uh, but you really you can't walk away from Gerardo Para, especially at 12 million dollars. Uh, you're not going to find a proven ma- uh, Major League Baseball player yeah. that's going to contribute what Para can contribute for you both this year and next year at that same rate. I don't uh, think people understand how big of a clubhouse influence he is, too. I mean, he cargo was like that as well, but. Para just keeps everybody loose, man. Well, and Para picked up where Cargo sort of, uh, where when Cargo started to internalize last year with the struggles that he was having uh, and, and the pressure that he was under uh, with that free agency looming. Para and, and we know how close those two are. Uh, like you know, best it, friends. It, they're they're best friends. You know. Came up together, um, you know, basically the same time, uh, both from Venezuela. Those two, Para really assumed the mantle of the fun guy in the clubhouse when Cargo was struggling so much, and it and and it would have been bad optics for Cargo to be goofing around and light and having Mm -hmm. fun. Like we know, Cargo is a lot of times when Cargo is playing well. Cargo is one of the funnest guys to be around in that clubhouse. Uh, And Para, again, you know, we we hit on it, but that 309 average last year. I mean, he he really could not be stopped, and which is why, to me, as soon as he's healthy and ready to go, you've got to get him out there on the field uh, and there therein lies that issue that you have with Desmond and the struggles that he's been yeah. having uh, you know we don't want to take anything away from Ryan McMahon uh, but look in a limited sample size last year Ryan McMahon was not particularly successful at the major leagues and so in in you know scenarios that aren't necessarily setting him up for success though you know a lot of pinch true. hit opportunities late game opportunities um, but listen you can for me in my perspective you cannot justify playing Ian Desmond at this stage of what he's shown you as a Colorado Rocky over Gerardo Parra who has been a great clubhouse presence and also has demonstrated his ability to be a, a solid all-around player on the field. Defensively, Desi's had a lot of problems in the outfield too, especially playing left field. You know, Gerardo Parra is much more consistent and I think that's exactly what the Rockies need. So, Well, and to that same end, I find it hard to justify playing a 23-year-old at first base yeah. who only has 25 MLB at bats to his <laughs> Very true. credit when you've got a two-time All-Star who's proven he can play anywhere on the field who maybe just had a little bit of a rocky spring and a underperforming year for you in year number one where he faced a lot of adversity. So, that boy, that first base position, we've been saying it really since spring training opened. It's going to continue to be the question mark. Now yeah. that Cargo is signed, uh, came back strong, we're going to get to see uh, really this whole weekend uh, what Cargo how he looks and how how he may have uh, yeah. uh, rebounded. Obviously, you know he had that spectacular September. Uh, spoke with reporters on Tuesday and basically said, "I'm ready. I'm I'm yeah. rip raring, ready to go. <laughs> I'm going to build off of that. I'm not even thinking about what happened in in the early months of last season. I'm gonna I'm focused strictly on building on the great things that I did in September. So. Uh, First base now becomes the focus, really, yeah. because first base has that cascade effect to left field and those other uh, bench positions. So that's where we're going to zero in. But today's lineup and probably what we will see over the course of the next week is going to look more and more like the starting eight that Bud Black is going to deploy come March 29th, two weeks from Getting today. close, man. It's exciting. Hard to believe it. Two weeks from today. Uh, not sure yet if we will be at top 14 to record, but... Uh, 
might be jam packed up there to the it's, point that you can't. It's you're probably going to be a New York City suburb, right? It's probably going to be busy there. Uh, but uh, again, two weeks from today, the Rockies do open their regular season in Arizona. So get down there and uh, check out Tap 14, whether it be for March Madness, which is going on right now. I'm sorry, Great I can't stuff. say March Madness. Uh, March bracket, the big tournament, insanity. Sorry, forgive me, NCAA. Please don't, uh, please, please don't file any uh, double M. Yes, um, get get down there for the tournament. Uh, great place to watch all of those games. 1920 Blake Street. They've got 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado distilled spirits. Amazing American Alpine Fair that's locally sourced and rotates seasonally. We will be checking them out all season long from that terrific rooftop patio. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at TapXIV or online at Tap14.com. Again, I am Casey Light. You can find me on Twitter at Light on His Feet. That is Anilo Piro. Anilo, how can we find you on the web? On Twitter sphere at Apiro Sports. Got a lot of you know exciting upcoming content as well from MyLightSports.com. Interviews with Jeff Breidich, Ian Desmond, Trevor Story, and a bunch of the other guys. Also got some stuff in the works for the baseball edition of the magazine, so be sure to keep an eye on my work. MyLightSports.com, the magazine, and on Twitter at Apiro Sports. And that's P-I- R-O for those of you yep. who do not spell Piro <laughs> the traditional way. Very true. All right, folks. That is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. Really excited and uh, can't wait. Two weeks. Great uh, stuff. Start marking your calendar. Start counting down the days. Uh, a fortnight from now, we will be talking <laughs> about real, actual, live Major League Baseball games that count in the standings. Get ready for it. We'll catch you again on Monday for the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14.